We are about to take the fuck truck to Pound Town for another rousing edition of the Disinformed Podcast. I am Shane. I am John. And I'm Michael. Are you prepared for that trip down memory lane, John? Because it's coming. If I must. As uh, are we. But also, congratulations, Shane, on introing when we should intro. Yes, yeah, when the goddamn show starts. <laughs> I made a real point of trying to get ahead of the game this week, since I was—I feel like I'm over-prepared and under-prepared all at once. My favorite still was our Departed episode. Where, yes. <laughs> where it was just like hour 35, and it's like, oh, oh yeah, huh. roll title. Here's <laughs> opening Hero. credits. Uh, so I discovered today, whilst opening up the uh, the blessed social medias, that we can officially trace our origin story for Damn the Weather. And I got very excited to discover that um, this week, six years ago, was a, a day that will live on in infamy and we will spare the details because I have no intention to slander any individuals on this podcast further than we already have. But... I just wanted to share this with you, John, because in going back and looking over, I had to kind of like MacGyver our uh, pictures together to get a good timeline for things because it's just it's been so long and it was a real blitz up front. So, all right. In July 9th of 2014, I performed. Now, I should say, when did we release the Hollow EP? Do you remember? Our, I think it was Shit. the same month. It would have been like early July 2014. Probably. Funny that you bring all this up. I, I'll let you tell the story. Just remind me about CDs. Just okay. say CDs at the end of the spiel. I'll let you know what I've been doing. I will get around. Well, that CD had a major hand in the reason why you know this all got started, as you'll recall. But uh, long story short, too late. So July 9th of 2014, I played a show with the Skeleton Keys, which was my band at the time that Sam was in with me, at the Crescent Ballroom. All right? So that's July 9th. John and was in attendance. With my ex-girlfriend. Yeah. It was, yes. that, was a, that was a great a great set. It was, it was a fun night. Very relaxed, ambient experience. Yes. Ooh, big one. Uh, now, to further give you an idea of what happened next... Uh, we had a band member quit the Skeleton Keys. Yes. Almost, like, you know, within, like, one or two days after this. And we had slated a show where The Hollow, which was John and my project at the time, was going to do a, a co-headlined show at Sozo Coffee on July 18th. So it was going to be The Skeleton Keys and The Hollow as a duo show, and I was going to be playing the full set, which was going to be very interesting. And it would have, like, kicked off what would end up then being six years of you essentially doing that forever. So Yes, of just, you know, trying to to pinball back and forth. And I was perfectly contented doing that because both were really fun projects. Uh, So the individual quit The Skeleton Keys right before that show. I think within three or four days of that show taking place. So we had to somewhat scramble to get things back on track. And so essentially what happened is I said, listen, we'll do as much of The Skeleton Keys stuff as we can with just Sam and myself. And then, you know, John and I will carry the rest of it. And I can do some solo stuff if need be. And Sam, if I'm recalling, said sort of like, well, I can, you know, play some of your stuff with The Hollow. Like, I've, I've heard your guys' CD. I can do one or two songs. 
So I was like, okay, well, let's get in a room together and play around. I'll let you pick up and carry where I'm missing in any of the linear narrative. No, I was going to flesh it out. I think Sam's thing was that we did have the CD, so mm-hmm. she could just access it or go on Bandcamp where we had it. Right. And just, just like, add some... I think... I gave her a copy. I gave her a copy of the CD and I gave the other individual a copy of the CD. And so all of this flushes out and you don't have to be a super sleuth to figure this stuff out. So I said, I'm not going to try to impugn anybody by getting into this. It's just an interesting story. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> what the fuck was that? No, it's because I realized I said no. Uh, very weird. But <laughs> Sam, Sam essentially was like, hey, in a pinch, like I can write some bullshit parts yeah. for, for the time being and then we can flush it out later. And yes. I remember we had like two or three practices at your apartment no one i thought we had like two or three uh, we had a writing session where we all got together and we worked on a couple of things and then we may have had like one subsequent practice to that oh but it was not because i have videos of that practice where where we put the thing on the floor in front of us where we were all sitting on my couch and like it's pointed at the ceiling fan oh. like, i have videos of us demoing stuff then so that it me was, intrigued so even better. So we go now from July 9th, where we have a show with this other band. I think July 14th, we had another show at uh, one of our regular places, and then she's gone. July 18th, we do this show after one or two practices, which is ridiculous. And we kind of jokingly called it the Skeleton Hollow. We had, you know, all three of we us had up no on name, stage. Yeah. And so we just kind of went with it. And it was a one-off. It was not something we were intending to do going forward. It just so happened that Sam kind of dug John, and that was their first initial meeting, not in the way that uh, his girlfriend would believe at the time. But, uh, you know, we we just got the two of them in. And so I was thinking, wow, this is a weird genesis. And I was just focused on that and how quickly that came together. Here's the timeline that followed. July 25th was the first show that we played, credited as Damn the Weather, at Krabby Dawn's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do the Krabby Dawn's set. August 26th, we have our first full band Damn the Weather practice, which includes Mike on bass and our other drummer, Zach. That was his first full band with us. And on that same day, we did a practice and we played a show. So we went and then played a three-hour set and we did like a full band set at O'Connor's. Wow. I didn't know that that's how that went. I didn't remember that's how that went down. You're right. This is... We did so much in, like, a congested amount of time. Oh, dude, it gets worse. So, to finish this up, August 30th, we do a Damn the Weather showcase again at the ASU Culture Clash, which was the downtown campus event that we were at. So, less than four days later, we do another show. This is all trying to throw things together. We are working on material right now. So this is not like we've been together for months and we have yeah, this Yeah, yeah, you have like an actual set stuff. set up. You've practiced it plenty of times. These it's were like, rough shows. Like think thinking back on them, like I had fun in the moment and I don't think back then I thought that they were rough, but then I put it through the filter of now mm-hmm. where Jesus Christ, I don't know how we were getting the gigs because we fumble fucked through a lot and it wasn't Shane <laughs> it to Shane's credit, it wasn't Shane's fault at all. Like Shane, I would say throughout this entire time was the only like consummate professional. Um, the only person who would remember all of his parts and sing all the right words and hit most of the right notes. Cause you know, we're human. We're going to, we're going to fail here and there, but especially Sam and myself, like we fucked up left and right. And Sam, well, they weren't technically like her songs. So she didn't have that emotional pull to be like, right. Oh, I know what this feels like. Oh, sorry. That's fair. Uh, I know, I know what this feels like. Yeah. 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 But, 
it's always embarrassing when you're the person who wrote the song and you're the one making it sound as far away from what it should be. Well, I wasn't trying to, you know, make us uh, fuck the corpse before we put it in the grave. I just am saying, so yes, we were, you know, really doing this on the fly. There was not a lot of like pre-planning to get into this. Now, August 30th is that show at the Culture Clash. September 3rd, we do a radio interview with the Blaze Radio for ASU at the time. First time I'd ever done anything interviewee. So we go do the radio thing. September 7th, we do our full band debut, Electric, at Sozo Coffee, which is the infamous mustache has an attitude problem night. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. September 8th is our show at Crescent Ballroom opening for a change of pace at their reunion show. Jeez. So that, now, that's, throw yeah. this into perspective. We went from July 18th not even being a band to September 8th opening for one of the biggest local acts in Phoenix at the biggest local venue at the time, Crescent. That's, I mean, it's barely over a month. And what's funny that in the background throughout all of that, so you can just list the shows, but it was... More of a job than our jobs mm-hmm. th- throughout that oh, time. Oh, of course. Because, because we were taking photos. Yeah, we like, had a photo shoot. We we went and recorded, too. Yeah, we went and recorded we, Speechless at the time. Because yeah. we had to have a single... Uh, we had management, so he they were saying, like, hey, like you're playing this big show. It's going to be your actual like debut, debut show, like big show. So you have to have something that people can find you on. You have mm-hmm. to have a streamable by that point. That makes sense. So yeah. that's, that's how we got connected with uh, the guy who recorded seven of the the 10 songs or 11 songs mm-hmm. yeah uh for for our concept album like we met him through that time when we didn't even know what we were so the song that came out then is drastically different than what you can hear now it's still on yeah. youtube so yep. you can check that out and um, he really has been one of like the the defining sort of sources of our sound as well he's kind of as much as the band has crafted the sound he has kind of helped to influence how we approach songwriting which is really great as well so kudos to our good friend Dan, who's a marvelous man and who I have a sort of a, you know, openly uh, man crush on. Likewise, he is, he's a, he's a hot piece. He's incredibly stunning uh, as a gentleman. I just cuddle on up to that. If fella, I, so. if it's, it was really hard to, to eat lunch with him because I'd be going to take a, a big bite of something, but my dick would just be so hard from looking oh, at him. I was going to say his bicep <laughs> just muscled you out of the way. That escalated yeah. a little bit quickly. It normally okay. tends to with us. It's, it's a reference, so if anyone oh. gets it, it's all it's all yours. So oh, I just if uh, anyone gets a reference, at... you got the reference. Ha ha. All right. Uh, <laughs> so I just it was really interesting in looking back at sort of the significance of this month and the significance of the date. You know, running into this odd confluence of events that brings all of us together, and we really threw this thing into motion ridiculously quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing else to add to it, but yeah. So Agreed. the reason I, I also bring that up is because we are on the threshold here of another important anniversary ourselves, and that uh, we are about to hit our 52nd episode soon, which will technically be, if we're going on a, counting it as, you know, a you know release a week for a year, that would be our one-year anniversary, though technically our first episodes, we released six at a time, and that was uh, September 8th. Of Something last like year. That. Yes, yeah. I looked at it this morning. It was oh, okay. Then so, I agree. 100%. It, 
Uh, so we're we're coasting up there. So we have to decide what we're going to do for an anniversary show. If we want to consider the number of the anniversary, or if we are going to go with the actual date. But I'm I'm more inclined to the episode end. I like the yeah. Episode. I think I think the number makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. I think you got to do something exciting, and you got to do something different for the anniversary. So I feel like we should orchestrate having uh, a fourth person on Ooh. the the anniversary audio episode we've done a guest now um on youtube sam thank you again you're not mm-hmm. gonna hear this but i guess for i guess <laughs> she, i think she gets like a 10 episode immunity from us uh you know disparaging her character no no uh, no not even never close. never but yeah Five maybe we minute. can brainstorm uh, a fun <gasps> maybe i have it i think i think i have it let's see if we can orchestrate it maybe we can have duan on on our one year episode, uh, he he is famous in and of himself. So so I I saw him Thursday of last week. I actually I got to see his new place. We social distanced distanced. Yeah, um, how can you do that while peeing into each other's mouths? Six it's feet, surprisingly well. Yeah, six feet. Um, right. If you're close, you wear a mask. But as long as it's further than six feet, right? Listen, if you've ever been in Catholic school for a semester, you know how to <laughs> you know how to do that. <laughs> There we go. Hey, it's Shane. Um, but while we were hanging out, he got a microphone delivered to him, a USB mic. Oh. So if we could coordinate. And actually, yeah, he's using GarageBand. And he okay. has his, he has, a, he's running it through a tablet. So he could zoom in with his phone yeah. and run the tablet and send well, the audio. Well, we don't need to start, you know, laying the thing out for everybody no, no, to no. listen but, to. But that's an idea. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's great. The reason I also broached that as well, to keep cutting you off, because I can see that you're just desperate to get your dick in here, and I'm not going to let it happen. The reason I stumbled across this is while I was looking back, I figured out where the birth of my immortal was on this podcast. Oh? Episode one. No. Three. Close. Episode two. Oh, LeVay and Satan. It, it all comes back to LeVay and yep. Satanism. We were talking about Satanism, and uh, Michael claimed his only exposure to, to Satan was through this really horrible fanfic that he had read, My Immortal, and they were Satanists. <laughs> and so we he regaled us with the tale, and that laid the seeds for what would later become episode 25. So we have been talking about this show or I mean that book for the entirety of this podcast that has been a thread throughout, like Uncle Touchy before it. Yeah, you could argue that we talked about My Immortal more than Stephen King. It's possible. We've done an episode on My Immortal. I guess we've done one on Stephen King, but not really. So mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah. Shoot. And the funny part, and now that I mention this just as an aside, we will finish... My Immortal in two more episodes. Not this one. So we will finish it. Thank fuck. On episode 52. What a way to celebrate the anniversary by bringing this chapter to a close, like the Askewniverse just finally closing the book. Yeah. It'll be the great end of season one. I am going to do something that I have never done once we finish My Immortal. I am going to wait for the... (laughs) Yes. No, I'm (laughs) going to wait for you to send me the supercut. And then I am going to get blacked out and not remember that I ever listened to it. <laughs> it's going to be like a 10, 15 hour long listen. So it's going to be an all day like sport. Of Last drinking. time I checked, there's 24 Ooh. hours in a day. I can stay black. If Sam, if Sam could stay drunk for six years, I can be blacked out for a day. 
If proof of nothing else that that is true, Sam that's, is most certainly the proof. That's so funny that you, uh, or not funny, it's awesome that you went back and kind of did the, uh, the timetable on that. So now I actually can say, like, oh, here's how long I've been friends with Sam. Because as Shane is well aware, like, friendship with Sam goes in dog years. You know? <laughs> so... So I feel like I've known her. I feel like I've been forced to be her friend for like 40 years now. <laughs> Here's some context. And I, I, Sam and I have discussed this in multiple places, and I don't think she would be ashamed. But Sam had a really difficult time with the band she was in previously when uh, she True. and I first started making music. So my initial sessions just hanging out with Sam were basically her getting free therapy from talking to me. Now, John, you have known Sam for quite some time. If Sam's got to be in her bonnet, you are not going to be out of there quickly. No. So, and she was also having a lot of fun, like emotional, uh, you know, situations with uh, loved ones and family and, uh, you know, significant other at the time. And there was a lot of nonsense occurring. I didn't get a word in edgewise for at least the first two months of knowing Sam. I essentially just sat there and nodded my head. Uh, so you can just envision how fun she was when she was worked into a rich foamy lather back then. And she will admit freely. Oh yeah. That would be the best compliment that you could give Sam though. Is mm-hmm. that now, you know, she is relative to, to that, like very well put together. Much, much calmer. Certainly. Yeah. She still can't, she, her and Michael share the trait that they, they really lose the plot when telling stories, but you know, they're, they're passionate and that's, you know. I appreciate that about it's fifty percent of the battle, or something, <laughs> right? Oh Is that man, the phrase? I can't, can't believe it's been six years since January. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and how <laughs> um, the CD <sighs> deal? So you putting the timetable? I think you and I kind of uh, are, are synchronized on nostalgia. Uh, and when we participate in it, maybe it's because of, you know of the socials and getting Facebook does it. Um, but I Facebook found... is good at that found two CD spindles. Um, that's what the word is, right? Spindle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus. Um, filled with demos from going back to, like, first band practice of the first band that I was ever in, taken with a Tascam two-track recorder. Nice. Um, Jeez. And it is some of the most painful things that you can ever <laughs> do to yourself. So I put, I have a, when I was putting together my turntable setup, I bought a five disc cd changer from goodwill because it came with two bookshelf speakers so other than that i have nothing else that i can play cdrs on in this house right now until hopefully we get a desktop set up pretty soon Ooh, um, from it, your parents no 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 <laughs> oh okay that, i was going on your former joke that you know once your laptop dies you got to make your folks buy you a desktop oh yeah yeah no yeah they're they're gonna they're gonna foot the bill okay good <laughs> But I have this like little embarrassing nostalgia nook downstairs right now where I'll plug in these same headphones and put in, I have five discs in and, and I'll just go through them. Man, that whole, the adage of like, I'm going back and I'm wincing through a lot. But also I had, right now I was like severe writer's block and Shane, Shane and I have talked about it, Michael, where it's like, there's, there is, there are things to write about. But it doesn't feel like an appropriate time to open your mouth, you know. That's it's like, fair. No, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. So I've been like, well, can I just go back into the past and start cherry picking stuff? Because 
You know, it's not like someone's going like, I want to know everything that John has ever done. And I am a historian on what he's done. And I'll be the, you know, I'll let everyone know that he is recycling old material. Like, no one fucking knows. No one gives a shit. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going through things right now. Like, they're, it's, God, what is it? Out of like every 100 songs, there's at least one that has to be workable. Mm. So I'm going through doing that. I figured you'd find that kind of interesting. Well, you know, it's I had a thought for the anniversary show, which I was joking with Michael about if we if he's having difficulty compressing some my immortal scripts is we have these interesting time tunnels back to I have my interview that I conducted with you and the boys from the Hellfire Club. That is me as a journalist having a an interview with you and the boys that we can read here with you reading your responses and me reading the questions and Michael playing we the could character just, of the other boys in, in you know that band. We should just Done. do that first episode post My Immortal. Uh, I like that. And there's also an interview with uh, the Skeleton Keys that was posted, and there is another interview that was done with you and I for uh, what went on to be... I, I think they posted it at Yab Yum and for Amp Kicker. So when we were talking about the Hollow release, we were interviewed for that as well as a collective, which is entertaining in and of itself as well. So you can kind of watch our relationship flourish through these bizarre interviews where we're talking to one yeah. another. Yeah. <laughs> So that would I be like that. fun. So it's a that's an interesting touch tone as well yeah. to get us back to those times and something we can play around with as a you know welcome back for all of us. And I don't know how we're going to incorporate Michael's meeting us because I didn't meet Michael until the two of you met. Well, the readers can pretty much just, uh, just assume that I don't remember it because I was probably blacked out because Most there likely. have been plenty of times where we've talked about you guys having a show. And me being drunk for it, so mm. that's pretty much the extent Again, of our meeting. So you and you and Sam are kind of uh, kindred in that regard, except mm-hmm. she was playing the shows and you were watching. <laughs> yeah, um, true. <laughs> can I can I say one more music thing? No, and we can we can move on. I didn't ask what our topic was either, <laughs> but well, we haven't gotten there yet. I know. Uh, usually before we roll, I, I prepare myself a little bit. I'm like, hey, what what are we going to talk about? I almost um, did, but then I stopped. I was like, no, nah, I like it to be a surprise. Okay. I am one more artist throwing on the Phoebe Bridgers affectation away from strangling myself to death. <gasps> really? I don't get the reference. Okay. You're fired, by the way. <laughs> don't but come back. Do you, do, you know who Phoebe, do you know who Phoebe Bridgers is, Michael? She was a character on Friends, right? <laughs> I love you so much. I will. I, and I'm Michael. <laughs> she is the... Uh, country goth queen let's put it that way or alt country goth queen i she's I, she's I, I'm queen. trying to compress those three definitions those three genres essentially one she's word. one of the biggest independent artists uh making alternative music at this current point mm-hmm. uh and she, as as anything when someone rises to that level of fame and adoration artists are influenced and start writing material that you know is reflective of you follow the trend basically that's that's so, a very nice way of saying that people copy her work there and it's not <laughs> it's not even her style of writing but lyrically a lot of people have jumped on that same board mm-hmm. and it's so hard to to articulate this without coming off as like a neckbeard 
because to to preface it, I love Phoebe Bridgers. I love mm-hmm. Better Oblivion Community Center, uh, Boy Genius, Julian Boy Baker. Boy Genius is amazing. Uh, yes. Lucy Dacus, like this this whole lane is amazing, and the songwriting is is god tier. And no one, I'm I'm not arguing that. What I'm arguing against is originality dying with people trying to capitalize off of successful acts. That's right. uh, you know, it's the way that it's been. This is almost a perpetual state. Music is yeah. sort of like the Ouroboros. It's a, a can- self-cannibalizing creature. You're absolutely correct, because mm-hmm. the last time I felt this way was um, the pop artists putting on what I called the Halsey affectation, mm-hmm. yeah. where like you can hit, and, and the same can be said for Phoebe Bridgers uh, in the same regard, but you could hit like a Halsey radio station on Pandora or Spotify, and within probably 15 minutes, you're like, oh, I haven't heard this Phoebe song, or I haven't heard this Halsey song, and you look down, and you're like, oh, shit. But it's I would say not... like a, a good example of someone like, who's akin to but not riffing off of would be acts like and i'm not just saying it because we got so close to being able to play with them but like great grandpa mm. where the the new great grandpa record four of arrows it fits in with the oeuvre of like phoebe bridgers and lucy dacus and julian baker where being unique enough in the vocal timbre is you can tell that you're just being you're just singing how you would sing mm. and you can tell the difference between that and somebody who's you know putting some flourish on to some jumping way. on the hoe train yeah someone who uh we used to be involved with on uh instagram chats uh on group or you know the big chats on on dam that we've talked about yes uh who puts on that raspy voice but i'm a girl but it's a raspy and i'm <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh john's janice joplin impression we hope you enjoy it I'm sorry. I don't know what triggered what triggered it. Actually, I don't I'm, either. But it's an interesting wormhole to go down. You know what? Uh, off off air, I know exactly what triggered it, and I can tell you off air. All right, I'm prepared for it. <laughs> Jeez, the funny uh, thing, geez. like I we, I always hesitate to toot our own horn, but it's something that you and I have talked about frequently. And it's not being self-congratulatory, just saying that we have heard it either parroted back to us so much, or we've said it enough that we've sort of managed to incept people with the concept is we don't sound like anything whenever someone tries to come up with a correlative for us they're like oh it's um we're schizophrenic they don't have that immediate band like every time someone compares us to a band it's different there has never been that where like the sam's former group every single bit of feedback i ever heard about them is there someone was always jumping up going oh yeah they sound like paramore yeah, it sounds like Paramore, and it's just this kind of perpetuated state where we are sco- like sco. We're so schizophrenic with what our own inspirations are, and we don't tend to write in this way that feels like we're just kind of churning things out of the conveyor. So I've never had anybody come up to us that gives us a similar comparison where it's like, "Oh, you sound like this." Never once has it been the same thing. As a fan of your music, I agree. It is very difficult to explain to people what you sound like. The best thing that I usually go with is a lot of your music has almost an existential angst to it. And when I use angst, I don't talk Fair. about teenage angst. I, I talk about like an adult version of angst, which is almost paradoxical. Porn. Kind of, yes. But like when people ask me how the, how you sound, that's when I kind of just shrug and say, well, they got... And I list your instrumentation, and I'm like, and they do a bunch of different things with it. So it is very hard. 
Yeah. So it is very difficult to explain to people. Like, I can give an idea of the overall, like, quality. Or, well, yeah, quality. I say you guys are good because you mm. are. But the content. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um you. But I say the content is that sort of vibe, but the musical genre, I can't. I can't put a finger on it. And the, the reason that I take that as a compliment and it, is because we haven't changed our voicing. Yeah, the entire time, like from yes. from from day one, six years ago till now, we have approached. We don't. I was going to say something that makes it sound like we haven't grown as as songwriters and musicians, right. which isn't the case. <laughs> but but with, without taking away from it, like we haven't drastically departed from the mission statement, and we haven't gone out of our way to sound like something we're not. And I think that's what I was trying to say: is yeah. if you're an artist and you start out with a particular timbre to your voice, like like let's say it's Paramore. You don't magically go from sounding vocal timbre to Haley Williams mm. to then sounding like Phoebe Bridgers within three records. Like that's right. a that is a conscious decision to emulate, and that's what it, what bothers me. Here's the thing: I think what you're trying to drive at is our inspirations are fuel for our machine, and it somewhat just sort of pushes us forward as far as what our the soundscape that we hit is, and that's instrumentation or other things, but we're still essentially us to our core, as opposed to us just sort of like following the trend and jumping on the bandwagon and riding it until the next one comes up. Because you can see like when the White Stripes came out, they're immediately churned out 40 to 50 other bands that all had like two members. Yeah. And tried to sound really gritty and not really well produced and just sort of thrown together. So it was all energy and enthusiasm as opposed to being this cultured and cultivated sound. Like you can watch these touchstones occur. Anyway, mm-hmm. we, we digress as per yeah, usual. I think uh, we can call the first 30 minutes of this episode. Shane and John jack each other off into yes. each other's eager mouth while Michael watches. Again. Isn't that every Earnestly. episode that we've done honestly <laughs> um, yes <laughs> you, you were mentioning like core have you guys heard of cottage core no yes it's a it's a type of aesthetic yeah so someone finally i, I think i butched that word no you, no, you, you, got, it. you got it right oh, cool i haven't had to drink anything yet because of you today ah. um cottage core and i'll show a picture to to you guys but and shane i'm sure we'll be able to like articulate and describe it well oh no but cottage core looks something like just a blank a screen bri- a bright screen you see like that kind of like patterny dress I was like you gotta kill the kill the you know light a little bit here yeah, we'll bro, like hold on we, I was, we aren't I was, that technologically advanced you i can't was shove your phone through the i was TV watching screen. a podcast on my phone earlier. i was watching porn earlier but like stuff like that people it's, like it's, wanting to look that way like but it's um, that looks like a it's... park oh but, okay but like that kind oh. of dress all right, I see what you mean. They're sort yeah. of like a, a flowery kind of sundress or things with spots or like you know. old, older, timing, rustic, very yeah, rustic. If that would have been, if that would have been defined back then, the catsuit story of mine, uh, that that woman. All right, cottage core was her aesthetic. All right, when she wasn't wearing a catsuit and having a butt plug in her. That's I mean, such a as is that's the such a one eighty. She, I, because I'm now picturing her like hide the house on the prairie, <laughs> and then like she takes off her like top layer of clothing, and then it's a fucking cat suit. With Michael, butt she was adorable. <laughs> uh, like schizophrenia I, doesn't walk around with a sign saying, "Hey, I'm crazy." You don't wear a Rorschach mask out into public yeah, and just fair, watch everybody. No, fair you, point. You know. 
Yeah, but James McAvoy. McAvoy in Split has a wardrobe that he has to change between, and the voices change as he changes the clothing. So, Michael, uh, Split is a movie by M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, I quit. Uh, <laughs> well, for those of you who are uninitiated to how this show typically works when we're done with our self-congratulatory masturbatory sessions, mm, uh, we dirt. typically will dive into a random esoteric topic, and then we will discuss it. And in the course of explaining it to its core, to all of you eager listeners, we will lie a little bit about it. So the presenter will tell the co-hosts a, a few falsehoods, a couple untruths, and it is their job to be like good old bloodhounds and sniff those lies out and scream at them and no i wasn't making a joke at your expense john yeah 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 yeah, yeah. posse indeed and so that is what we do here and so this week's glorious episode is going to feature a topic that is near and dear to our hearts and i say that in that this is a story that originates and emanates from our very own home state which is topical considering the amount of just untold nonsense that is occurring within the cozy confines of this state presently. And Stop, now. I can only get so erect. John, it's funny, I hear you speaking out of someone else's mouth. It's like, <laughs> it's Beetlejuice. Learn to throw your voice, fool your friends, fun at parties. <laughs> so who's who's the present? Is it you presenting it's today, It's me, Shane? yes, yeah. it is I. Okay. Yes. Your your humble narrator for, again, another cozy episode. And I, I wanted to start on this because very likely I, I hope that you have encountered a little bit of this at some point. The reason that this occurred to me is that Damn. John and I were, yes, the we're going to talk about a woman in a cat suit again. Uh, John and I were talking about the Blessed Joe Rogan podcast whilst I was uh, over at Bottle Shop on Saturday. And the reason that I got into Joe Rogan's show in the first place, or I started listening, I'm not an uber fan. I just find him entertaining. Uh, but I, I knew him from UFC. I had enjoyed some of his stuff. But when Dan Aykroyd went on to talk about his, uh, you know, vodka <gasps> line... I got really excited because I love Aykroyd. I find him really engaging, so I listened to the show. And Aykroyd is very entertaining and very engaging, but he's also a certified nut by the time you get to the end of that show. (laughs) He just rattles off strings of events, just encyclopedic knowledge. It is uncanny. I don't think I've ever listened to somebody talk who had those polls uh, to the point where so one shane i listened to the and i watched the entire episode i figured um and i will say to your credit that if i cherry pick the episodes that i watch i could see it being enjoyable yes i don't think it's going to be a weekly endeavor for me like you're Can't saying be. no because i i feel like i i had it on down downstairs when i got home from work one night because it took me a couple days to, to parse through yeah and becky was like ah, i hate it I was like, what What about it are you hating so far? She goes, it just seems like they're just jacking each other off. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she doesn't listen to our podcast, I've uh, discovered. Very much so. Sure. It was basically, they're, they're on a, a tangent, like dead center in the episode about people needing to love themselves. It was a very like, it sounded like they were taking it from self-help books, like things right. that they had just heard but maybe don't believe. But they felt like since the cameras were on, they, they needed to make sure that they said it out loud. But yeah, um, he is a nut job, but he is an interesting nut job. He's a very charming, eccentric man. Can I take a stab at what I think you're going to present? Please. Uh, the Phoenix Lights? No. <sighs> you you are close, but no cigarillo. We are going to discuss the Travis Walton UFO incident. 
For those who are uninitiated, and Michael's dead stare is going to tell me, uh, so I can get into this by saying this stems from something that's very near and dear to my heart, and this film scared the bejesus out of me when I was a child. The movie is Fire in the Sky. If you have not seen, which I know Michael has not seen, but John that may have encountered. Familiar. Was that based on a book? It was based on a book, the uh, Walton UFO experience. Okay, I've been recommended that book more times than I can count. Okay, so I grew up in a little town uh, that doesn't bear discussing, but it is about 45 minutes away from where this took place. The gentleman, oh. Travis Walton, is from Snowflake, Arizona, which is right in the same neighborhood of where I grew up in the White Mountains, which is terrifying. Also, the dates of this sort of fall into some family anecdotal joke here, but my sister, when they were bringing her home from the hospital, my mom claimed that there was some sort of a light that followed them intelligently for probably 20 minutes, and they weren't able to tell what it was. Now, my folks are not UFO freaks, and they're not those that would, you know, sort of put this into your brain of going like, well, we believe that something followed us. Could have been a helicopter, any number of things. But they would tell this story. So my sister, when I was probably like maybe nine or ten, elected brilliantly as she and her high school boyfriend who later became her husband to take me to see this movie that is based on these events and i remember these stories of this light following my folks home and then they say oh it took place in snowflake arizona which is a place i'm very familiar with and as i watched the events unfold on this screen i was terrified to the point of i hid behind the seats in the movie theater screaming (laughs) until my sister took me out of the theater And we'll get into why it terrified me when we get into some of the events later on. So that's just a little preamble to get you into why I decided to choose this topic, because um, it's one of the things that Aykroyd says he believes, and it strains credulity a little bit here. Uh, And so I want to just dive right in. Fair. The Travis Walton UFO incident is an alleged alien abduction of an American forestry worker, Travis Walton, by a UFO on November 5th, 1975. While he was working in the Apache Sitgraves National Forest near Snowflake, Arizona, Walton reappeared after a five day search. The Walton case received mainstream publicity and remains one of the best known alien abduction stories. It is worth noting that many skeptics consider the story a hoax, which is with almost every UFO abduction story, there's a right. plethora of people who are going to tell you it's a hoax. Hmm. Walton wrote a book about his purported abduction in 1978 called The Walton Experience, which was adapted into the 1993 film Fire in the Sky. So I was 12 at the time it came out, now that I'm seeing the dates. So I will also tell you up front that I have got, I believe, three lies. Okay. 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 So, diving in. The Abduction Claims. According to Walton, on November 5th, 1975, he was working with a timber stand improvement crew in the Apache Sitgraves National Forest near Snowflake. While riding in a truck with six of his co-workers, they encountered a saucer-shaped object hovering over the ground approximately 110 feet away, making a high-pitched buzz. Walton claims that after he left the truck and approached the object, a beam of light suddenly appeared from the craft and knocked him unconscious. The other six men were so frightened that they purportedly drove away and left him there. 
which is re- very reassuring for all of your, hey, right. r- ride or die homies, if I get picked up by a UFO, are you going to stick around or are you just going to let me get pulled up into the mothership? Well, the thing, too, is that I don't know when, like, UFO, like, not, like, fandom, like, I don't mm-hmm. know when that really was in its heyday. Like, I like, will like, get into that. Okay, because you know, you know, like manic panic in the '80s with Satan shit, but like, mm. I don't, I don't know the same factoid for for UFOs. So. I will well, touch on that. Okay, okay, yeah, because so. I have a little information about that too, but that's more hearsay. So, continue. okay. Uh, so, as the story continues, Walton awakens inside of a slimy cocoon. Breaking out of its membrane, he finds himself in a zero-gravity environment inside a cylindrical enclosure whose walls contain other similar cocoons. He's horrified to inadvertently discover that one contains the decomposing remains of a human body. Hot. As he makes his way to a neighboring area featuring what appear to be several humanoid spacesuits, he is apprehended by two extraterrestrial creatures. Easy for me to say. Uh, (laughs) He was was unwillingly hauled down corridors full of terrestrial detritus, uh, such as shoes and keys, etc., before arriving in a bizarre examination room. This is the point in the film where I lose my shit. Now, I should tell you, I had um, my tonsils out at age two. I had a lot of ear problems. Like, I had drainage issues with my ears, so I had tubes in my ears for years. Uh, I'm very, so subsequently, John, prepared to laugh. I'm very gaggy as a result of this, which is why I can throw up uh, at will, is I figured out how the mechanism works from being very sick as a kid and all of these things. So huh. I will get to what triggered me while we were watching this. Oh, so, fun. The aliens strip him of his clothes and cover him with an elastic material that pins him painfully to a raised platform under an array of equipment and lights in the middle of the room. Now, what they leave out here is that in the movie, they slap what looks like a handful of Vaseline into his mouth. So he's screaming, trying to get him to release him. They just slap this goo in his mouth and throw a sheet over him, which lays down and adheres to his face so he can't breathe. So now I'm thinking of these things, and it's making me wretch. So I'm on the floor like a 12-year-old kid, like, vomiting as all of this stuff is transpiring on the screen. I feel like this is therapy for you, just to talk about it. Well, it's the reason I bring it up. (laughs) And it's also, it terrified me for years, because, again, this happened down the road from where I lived. I know where these places were that they were showing this stuff being filmed. So it made me terrified of UFOs. An alien abduction for a good long while in my very overactive imagination as a youth. So this is kind of why I bring some of this odd stuff into our mix here as we go on as I am the paranormal guy. Because this stuff just kind of fascinated me. When you're terrified of something, you want to confront it, meet it head on. And so that's why, you know, I was terrified of Pennywise in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Uh Despite Walton's terrified screams, which, as I said, were muffled in there, the aliens pitilessly subject him to a traumatic, excruciating experiment. Oh, here we go. In which a gelatinous substance is shoved into his mouth. His jaw is then clamped open, and a device is inserted into his neck, and he is forced to endure an ocular probe while fully conscious during the experience. So, so they the shove film, something into his fucking eye. They shove something in. It's a little whirling dervish kind of thing that starts moving towards his eyeball on screen, and that's when I lost my mind. Well, I would meet you there. right there because that is one of my, like, horror movie or suspense or anything. Like, as soon as the eyes start getting fucked with, like, I think... 
like the smallest example that's not even a horror movie is like John Woo's Mission Impossible 2. Yes. Where there's the fight sequence near the end and they have that awesome shot of the knife blade being like a centimeter from Tom Cruise's eyeball. Yes. That freaked me the fuck out. Like I was like, <gasps> now how do you deal with kill bill during the, uh, you know, the, the eye snatch scenes? Uh, I got over it because I, I like it. Like I the, like the movie overall. <laughs> I think those are so funny that it's almost impossible for you to take it seriously, particularly the Daryl Hannah one, because the, Oh, I mean, both of them are Daryl Hannah. Uh, no, there's some that happened in the Crazy 88 sequences. But yes, the yeah. Daryl Hannah one, she sells it. The screams are just so hilarious that you can't really get, you know, creeped out by it. I feel like that's the big difference. It's the delivery. It's like Kill Bill. The difference between that is like it's so over the top and it's uh, stylized. Yes. Like, it's it's an homage to that particular style of cinema. So anyway. And look, I'm, look at me, cinema. Uh, I'm a I know. Now, <laughs> what do you know, uh, I Michael? Mean, isn't that like every every episode where we do, where one of you guys brings up one movie, and I sit here and you both like gush about it? I'm Michael. It's a living. <laughs> yeah, you know, I would say that you would sit slack jawed and drooling, but as someone who had to, uh, funnily enough, I forgot to mention this. I got to take my COVID test this morning. Oh, how'd oh. you do, man? Trying to, so you can't drink anything or have any, like, you can't have ingested anything for a half an hour before you go in. I dare you to sit in a room without having consumed any fluids for a half an hour and try to produce spit that is not bubbly. Well, it's hold on. That's horrible. Let's make this a, a parenthetical conversation before we Got dive it. back into Walton and the gelatinous goop. Yes. Um, so you did a, a different, you did a different test? You didn't do the nasal? <laughs> we'll talk about it. The test, yes, is saliva. Has a sali- it's a saliva base. It's not the nose. Which is oh. great. And they're actually going to start um, disseminating it to the public as well. So you'll see mm-hmm. this popping up that they're now giving it to other people. It, for those that haven't been able to figure this out, I know, Michael, we've been trying to kind of cloy this. So we might, you know, bump this for, for time to time or just beep eh. somewhere. But, you know. Uh, lest we have to start including the disclaimer, John, that our views are not the views of the yeah, and it's yeah, subsequent I mean. nonsense. So yeah, anyway. Uh, but yes, you have to sit and they give you a little vial and a drinking straw that is wrapped up and you have to sit and spit into the drinking straw to try to get at least this much fluid in there. And so you can't have any that's, bubbles. That's about a table. I would guess about a tablespoon's worth of spit. It, it's a substantial it's a amount of amount. spit. Yes, it yeah. took While me probably four. Correct. So it took me about forty minutes to get you know the subsequent amount because I went Jeez. up the first time and the guy's like, "This is all froth, man. There's no saliva here. You've got to you know get this." And he showed me again another chart and explained, "You have to lull your tongue around in your mouth. You want drool, basically." So in my mind, I'm like, "Oh, good. I get to be Rick now and just." <laughs> did you apologize to the gentleman and say that you swear this never happens and that this no is the I, first time? <laughs> I asked if he wanted to help me with giving me something i could suck on and he he you know elected to pass but he did tell you that in the next room over there's a hole in the wall and if you close your eyes he would put a little tube through it and you can uh-huh. just suck out the yes. liquid from the tube <laughs> It's a only time in my life where I just started like soliciting men around the corner, like, "Hey, does anyone want to help gag me for a second? Uh, Quick, so, make me come." <laughs> I that I made that joke with Melissa as like, "Man, I could have filled that vial up ten times if they'd let me jack off for the same amount of time." But no, I had to spit. 
You know what? Uh, I just think that personally it's embarrassing that in this ridiculous state and ridiculous country that they can't just test for COVID and are come. I mean... And that's that, where that's my campaign platform right there. That would be the fun way to test. <laughs> what are you are you running alongside Kanye West? And I'm in, all that? I'm in the birthday party now, bitch. Oh shit. So you're running in the birthday primary against Kanye West. Are you all are you all ready? You. Are you ready for the uh, the Sigourney segue? Yeah, let's end let's uh oh, let's shit. end the He's involved in here somehow. Back on bodily fluids. Uh we're gonna get back to Travis Walton being traumatized. Nice. Uh, so after enduring the ocular probe, he fully loses consciousness, and then, uh, he is found back on Earth, disoriented, abused, and sitting in, like, a, uh, truck station bathroom. And the, the shot in the movie, which I remember, which is what officially is where we left, because that's when I started screaming to the point that my sister really had to remove me. He looks up, and on the window behind the toilet he's sitting on is a handprint of, like, an alien hand on the window. Because, Tight. of course, naturally, they just want to menace you after having violently probed your body of, like, we're coming back. So I lost it. They had to remove me from the theater, and my sister went home and told my mom Bullshit. she owed her money for that. They had to remove me. Yeah. No, they had to. They had to take me out of the theater. <laughs> it was terrifying. Worth a shot. All right. Yeah, fair. So that is the conclusion of you know the film. Basically, goes through him. Yeah, you know, later on, trying to figure out what happened and trying to get people to believe him. But that is essentially his claim of of what occurred when he was abducted. Now, so is the movie just, is that a big meat of the movie is the abduction? Or is it more of a drama of, like, him trying to get people to believe him? And that's, like, 60 of the hour and a half. It plays back and forth. They actually intercut him trying to tell people what happened with the story of what happened as he's sort of remembering it. Because it's not just lucid. He doesn't just wake up and instantaneously recall. So... Uh, it's it's an inter- it's actually a really well done film. Having was, watched it in my adult life, I really I would recommend checking it out. It's, I was it going was, to ask. Okay. It's critically acclaimed. Let's say that it doesn't. It's a '90s film and an early '90s film. Basically, makes it a late '80s film. So it's not yeah. as clean it's as you'd blade. expect. Yeah. No, but it's it's fun. It's worth checking out if you want to just get an idea of what happened here. So for UFO, uh, the UFOologists or the UFOlogists. Uh, In the days following Walton's UFO claim, the National Enquirer, the source of all credible news in the United States, uh, awarded Walton and his co-workers a $5,000 prize for the best UFO case of the year. After they allegedly passed polygraph tests administered by the Enquirer and the Aerial Phenomena Research Association, or ARPO, or organization, sorry, uh, Walton and his older brother and his mother were described by the Navajo County as Arizona Sheriff as longtime studnets of the uh, UFOs. Excuse I me. S- is the National en- uh, One, yeah, let's not forget that, but is the National Enquirer paying them that that's real? Yes, the UFO that is real. The year? Yep. That's uh, ridiculous. Studnets, I'm going, is it was a, an obvious typo in the newspaper that I looked at here. Uh, oh, I, okay. I, there were students of the UFOs. Oh, uh, nice. I like it. No, here's flavor, a, flavor text. Here's I a like fun it. pull quote for you gentlemen. <laughs> I'll do uh, complete with our, our accent here. Navajo County Undersheriff Ken Copeland went on to remark that Walton's story in particular, about his story in particular, there are too many things to indicate to me that it was a put-up deal. I don't know how it was brought off, but I just can't buy the story. 
Seems to me that boy's been getting friendly with the weeds while woodcutting. <laughs> right. Just getting friendly with the weeds. Bless I like them. that. It's great. I, I want to keep that in our lexicon. No, how many weeds have you been friendly with? Indeed. While you're weed cutting. How you been cuddling up with the weeds up there in Arizona? So I just picture some guy on like a twin bed and he's got like a couple of bushes just like on the bed with him and he's like spooning them. He's like, Shh, hey, I'm here. Leave me alone. Fuck us, Ficus. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the way to get the real poison ivy right there. It's just <laughs> loving the weeds in Arizona. Anywho. So is so, that quote real? Is the quote real? Yeah. Is the quote real? Is it bullshit? Is it a bullshit quote? Half of the the uh the boy getting friendly with the weeds is a shame thing. Ooh! Well wow. done. Ooh, y- you picked targeted. one in the wild. Well done. Uh. It's it's almost too much me. I was I was worried throwing it in, but I was like, ah, it's fun. Why not? We'll throw it in here. I, I loved it regardless. I want to keep it as like a thing. Just well get done. friendly with the weeds. Indeed. Uh speaking of which, you've already missed one other, so you have one remaining ah. lie coming up. So that's fine. All right. So uh, the initial saying, there are too many things that indicate it was a put-up deal. I know how it was brought up, but I just can't buy the story. That was the actual quote I added on Makes the sense. other. So. All right, yeah. so some ufologists believe that Walton was abducted by aliens. UFOlogist Jim Ledwith said for five days, the authorities thought he'd been murdered by his co-workers. And then he was returned. All of the co-workers who were there who saw the spacecraft, they all took polygraph tests, and they all passed, except for one, and that test was deemed inconclusive. So, that is the reception here. Now, here is the skeptical Uh, reception. The skeptics consider the case to be a hoax, describing it as a sensationalizing part of the media and a put-up job to make money. UFO researcher Philip J. Class... He's a classy fella. He considered oh, Walton's get out. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, he considered Walton's story to be a hoax perpetuated for financial gain and discovered many discrepancies in the account of Walton and his coworkers. Ooh. After investigating the case, Class reported the polygraph tests were poorly administered and that Walton used polygraph countermeasures, such as holding his breath. And that class uncovered an earlier failed test, which was administered by an examiner who concluded the case involved gross deception. Now, the polygraph stuff is going to be worth noting, so just keep that in the back of your minds for later uh, on. Because this I is have gonna, issues with polygraphs. It's so going to rear its ugly head again. So, Ugh. science and skepticism writer Michael Shermer criticized Walton's claims, saying, "I think the polygraph is not a reliable determiner of truth. I think hmm. Travis Walton was not abducted by aliens." In both cases, the power of deception and self-deception is all we need to understand what really happened in 1975 and Sh- after. Shermer sounds familiar. Is that what Ackroyd brought up on the Yes, on the Shermer is one of the people that they say uh, is very critical. And so a lot of this is intertangled with the stuff that Ackroyd is kind of enthusiastic about. It's what made me think of it, was listening to the episode again, because I went back. That's also tangentially then related to, is that MUFON? Yes. Uh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry Zabrowski of Last Podcast is okay. hugely... I think he actually is a member. So All right. Like he is well, a member of... Uh, MUFON. MUFON. Oh, wait. Yeah. We're, we're getting there. So, uh, if I... Yeah, yes, as a matter of fact, yes. MUFON is coming up later on. So. Uh, okay, cool. I'll ask then. 
So the uh, cognitive psychologist Susan Clancy argues that alien abduction reports began only after stories of extraterrestrials appeared in film and on television. And this is to John's point from earlier. Hmm. And that Walton was likely influenced by the NBC televised movie The UFO Incident, which aired two weeks before his own claimed abduction and dramatized the alien abduction claims of Betty and Barney Hill. So basically they're like... You just ate, you, you watched something on the, on the TV, you ate some bad chili, and you had a fucked up dream. Exactly. So, like, so your little fever dream after watching this and having a, a wet dream based on, and it, it's James Earl Jones stars as, uh, Barney Hill in this film. Vader I actually, and Mufasa? Exactly. I looked it up. Bruh. Go, why you Mufasa? Uh, so for the uninitiated, and this is again pointing back to the Ackroyd, uh, podcast that he had with Rogan, Betty and Barney Hill were an American couple who claimed that they were abducted by extraterrestrials in a rural portion of the state of New Hampshire in September, uh, from September 19th to 20th of 1961. This is widely publicized, or the first widely publicized report of an alien abduction in the United States. It is kind of the progenitor of the movement. In particular, now, once they started making films that depicted the events, they had to go and see a therapist who had to induce them with um, hypnotist. Hypnosis. Yes. So it's uh, the incident came to be called the Hill Abduction and the Zeta Reticuli Incident because the couple stated under hypnosis they had been kidnapped by aliens who claimed to be from the Zeta Reticuli star system. Uh, and there's a whole lot of stuff. Ackroyd gets into this on that podcast. So if you're interested as a little like tandem podcast with us, go listen to the Ackroyd Joe Rogan. You'll get a lot of sort of backlog with this as well. But it is what it, it's what Ackroyd claims to be the most credible UFO story, because, of course, it's the original one not influenced by pop culture or any previous stories. Right. And there. and. For Shane, I Shane has been trying to get me to listen to a Rogan or uh, Shane and I have the like a back and forth joke with each other that I like Tom Segura mm. and your mom's house podcast. He's Joe Rogan. They're both very long podcasts that debut every week. I think Rogan's every day almost. Right. It seems or, like it. Um, if, yeah, he's he's at like episode like what sixteen hundred or something. It's ridiculous. Crazy. It's, it's, it's an astronomical ridiculous. number. Yeah. But that being said, there there are more memes on men that listen to rogan then there are memes about people listening to your mom's house because you know there's one there's way more content but as someone who came in thinking that it was not a joke but like i i kind of avoid rogan i gave it a shot i said it earlier it's legitimately a good episode and it's open opened me up to to watch other interesting looking episodes in the future so definitely worth it uh, that's what led me down the rabbit hole of the David Fravor episode and then got me onto the Bob Lazar episode was the Ackroyd one because they talked about oh. his discussions with that. So this is what kind of pulled me into that topic. And again, as I'm illustrating here, this is something I find interesting. All right. So back in. Clancy noted the rise in alien abduction claims following the movie and cites classes' conclusions that after reviewing the movie, any person with a little imagination could now become an instant celebrity, concluding that one of those instant celebrities was Travis Walton. So, interesting okay. Okay. To, to point out, you know, that they're, they're looking at this now. Furthermore, psychologist Benjamin Simons, who was the hypnotist who worked with Betty and Barney Hill in the mid-60s, then stated during a presentation to the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, 
1987, oh, okay. that Walton's highly sexualized abduction tale is incongruous with a number of other accounts of the era, even though Barney Hill claimed that they penetrated him rectally with a device. So I, I find it kind of funny that we got off on this topic. He makes a lot Don't of... Don't kink shame his abduction methods. He makes a lot of valid points here, though. So it leads oh, him okay. to conclude <laughs> that the story was either sensationalized to make the story more provocative, or that the story was... This is a great quote. A Freudian cry for help from an exceedingly <laughs> depraved subconscious. <laughs> and that's not bullshit. That was a real quote. Please that is a real quote, yes. Okay, cool. That's, a, that's beautiful. I feel like at this point, my bullshit isn't even... in intuition it's just wanting to actually believe that the things that you said are, are true does yes. that make sense mm-hmm. yes <laughs> yeah that, that's where the the sleep sleeping with the weeds yeah yes oh, now i will goodness. say the uh the quote is you know yes that is a real thing that benjamin simon said in my head so Congratulations, you snaked out another lie here, gentlemen. But there allow me to uh, allow me to continue because this is a very deep paragraph, and I just want to make sure the the yeah. quote is what you're calling bullshit on. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, Kelm went on to offer that the story has more in common with accounts of sleep paralysis than it does with more substantively mm. corroborated abduction tales. Again, for the uninitiated, sleep paralysis is a period of inability to perform voluntary movements at either the onset of sleep or upon awakening. Episodes are often accompanied by a wide range of bizarre hallucinations, which comprise three categories. Intruder hallucinations which involve a sense of evil presence or a multi-sensory hallucinations of an intruder. Like you hear someone breaking into your house, you hear doors opening, things like that, upon having just woken up from a sleep state. Um, there is a an incubus hallucination, which is characterized by the feeling of pressure on your chest, suffocation, and physical pain, which uh, also will lead to uh, paralysis. Um, and then vestibular motor VM hallucinations, uh, which feature illusory movement and out-of-body experiences. So in the instances where you see yourself floating oh. above yourself and things like that. All of these are based on, just to you know digress for a second because I've studied a decent amount of this, individuals who wake up and claim, I felt like aliens were coming into my house because there was a really bright light and I felt like there were people around me and I couldn't move. Well, that's what sleep paralysis is. You will wake up from a dead sleep. Your body is basically still in a REM state, but you're conscious. So your body is paralyzed and it's not moving because it's technically asleep, but your brain is functioning. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of these things that they will write off UFO phenomenon on because they have a lot of correlatives with dealing with sleep paralysis. It's really interesting. Interesting. Like I, f- funny, actually. Well, not really funny. Mm-hmm. I get sleep. I get sleep paralysis. I have sleep paralysis. Oh, fun. So I have the yes. I have the intruder um, aspect. Um, there also is an overall uh, overwhelming sense of doom mm-hmm. that occurs with that. Um, That's just life these days, Michael. Well, uh, yes, <laughs> uh, um, that is true. Yes, but that would be the case for me. Um, when I was younger, I would have a lot more of the intruder aspect, especially when I lived in my parents' home. Um, I lived with a uh, Palo Verde, a gr- pretty much a tree in Arizona. Um, the street lamp would always shine shadows onto the window uh, looking into the into my room. So I'd always see that, but I would wake up in the middle of the night, not be able to move. It was that feeling of not being able to do anything or act, and then I would feel like there would be an intruder coming in. Now, 
nowadays I don't have that intruder aspect. I just have the overall feeling of doom and that I need to move, um, which is it, it's it's a very it's hard to explain mm. because it's not something I want anyone to experience. Right. But in order to explain it, you'd need to. Experience. It's a really heightened anxiety and sort of yes. a sense of powerlessness, probably. Yeah, very, very true. I don't have it a lot, but I get it every now and again, and it's a very, very weird feeling. And it's kind yeah. of similar to what you're talking about, Michael. Mine, it feels like, um, felt like someone was like talking, like a, mm. a low, like it's almost like you're coming out of a dream, like in a nightmare, like you'd hear a deep rumbling voice. So it'd be like that panic, like holy shit, so like what the fuck, and then you wake up and then you can't fucking move. Right. So the other things I can touch on here to just sort of further illustrate is the intruder and the incubus hallucinations typically co-occur and are accompanied by fear, whereas the VM hallucinations are seem to be more positive and involve feelings of bliss. So Yeah, I had no idea. Sorry to interrupt mm, again no. because I, I usually do that. But I had no idea that the out-of-body experiences were also considered part of uh, sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. But it makes a lot of sense. Um, considering that you don't really have any control of your body, so of course your brain would try and you know rectify that right. and be like, well, of course you're not in your body, you're out of your body. That's why you can't move it. And it's this feeling of a spiritual separation from yourself, and yeah. So uh, the sleep paralysis will also involve a full return to wakefulness during the REM-induced muscle atonia, where your body is still actively engaged in a sleep cycle, and your mind has returned to a wakeful state, which will typically account for the paralytic state often described by abductees. So that's the the correlation we have here, All and right. so these are the uh, criticisms that they throw at mm. uh, at Walton. Okay. So, yeah. uh, anything else you want to touch on while we're there, or no? I'm okay. Good. No, I, I I said my gave my five cents. All right. Two cents, whatever. So here is media and publicity. In 78, Walton wrote the book The Walton Experience, uh, which details his claims and became the basis for the 1993 film Fire in the Sky. Walton has occasionally appeared at UFO conventions or on television. He sponsors his own UFO conference in Arizona called the Skyfire Summit. Thirty years after the book's release, Walton appeared on a Fox show, or a Fox game show, in fact, called The Moment of Truth, and was asked if he was, in fact, abducted by a UFO on November 5th of 1975. The whole point of this show, if you're not familiar, because I was not either, is the moment of truth is that they would put people, connect them to a polygraph, uh, and then make them answer questions. And so it was intended to sort of catch people who had um, cheated on their wives or or their husbands. Like a Jerry Springer offshoot kind of thing. Essentially. So that it's like they have you, uh, the Maury Povich thing of like, are you the father of this child? And you've got an actual thing strapped on to tell whether you're telling the truth or not. You're like, I'm going to try and lie. I'm going to try. So, uh, and you could win money if you were not lying. And so, uh, when he was asked if he had been abducted, he replied, yes, the polygraph determined that he was lying. Ooh. Now, there has been a lot of fun surrounding this because I read several articles. I'll include one of them in the show notes here just so you can go and read it on your own if you want to. But, um, he actually claims he was coerced into going onto the show because he had just lost his job. And he was desperate for money. He didn't want to do it. He had a bad feeling about it. And he believes that they had rigged the polygraph to make it seem like he was lying so, to discredit him. So this is what he's claiming. So interesting state of circumstances. And that, ladies and germaphobes, is what I have to present to you this week about the Walton incident here in the grand state of Arizona. So do you personally, Shane, think that Walton is lying? <sighs> 
it's really I here's the thing. I don't give a lot of credence to the UFO stories and and the phenomenon typically until I started going into these situations. The David Fravor podcast in particular gave me a very ooky feeling. Uh, when I was listening to it, I listened to it with the lights off on Halloween, by the way. So as he's telling his story, it was probably, I think, Melissa was at work. And I was just sitting in a bathtub listening to a podcast like a fella does of an evening. And we just hang out with the lights off and having this. And it once I started pulling up the video podcast, because I wanted to watch along as they were showing the video footage, I started to get a little unnerved. And it is things like this that have some sort of a video component that corroborates that actually start making you feel a little unnerved about it. So you sound 50-50. I'm on the fence, but about uh, Walton in particular... I have not seen any of him personally speaking about it to lend any credence one way or the other. It's kind of, you want to read it with could, your own bullshit detector, basically. Yeah, he could be a, a yeah. Lazar to you. Yes. You know, like... Yeah, and I mean, even then, like, the circumstances with the Lazar thing are, are bizarre for the podcast. Having watched the... If the film were done better, I probably would have enjoyed his story a bit more. But he's just so incoherent with the narrative of that documentary that made me hate him actively. Because Jeremy is a glorious human being. Yeah. Anywho, long story short, too bloody late. I'm not sure how I feel about Walton. Uh, it's it's unnerving just because there are all these anecdotal things that surround in my own life that kind of prejudice me into believing that something has to be happening here. The Phoenix Lights phenomenon is another one of those interesting set of circumstances that we can talk about at yeah. some point. Though the weird thing for me, guys, is that uh, UFOs are like a gray area for me where I'm not like mm. a half of... Uh, I'm the 50-50 on the, the topic itself where... It's like, eh, it's kind of bullshit. But then yeah. you see, like, really cool things. But then, you know, there's the skepticism inside of yourself. And they, they touch on, on that on the Accurate episode a lot. Mm. Um, whereas on Ghosts and Paranormal, it's almost like 75% of me where I'm like, definitely. But not on, and we've talked about it, not the, like, religious end of it. But mm. just the, the excess energy that's left behind. Like, there mm. has to be a, a leftover energy. How could but, there be energy without consciousness, Michael says with his smirk, I can tell. No, I mean I don't need to I don't need to We've gotten, first yes. off, it's a belief. I I'm not gonna shake anyone's belief because I don't care to. Because it, you can believe whatever you want. I won't try and shake you of Listen, it. That's I am why just, I don't yell. I'm just a Satan loving Satanist. Indeed. But, you know? Exactly. Because and, you say God if you're in Christian, but if you're if you're a Satanist, you just love Satan. So Satan well, and Satanist. Yeah, so, and, the water remembers. And I it. think you should well, the water remembers all, and you, the water judge us, you, judges us for our crimes. You know, um, if birds aren't real, then how can we say that UFOs are real? You son of a bitch, you got there before me. I had it. I was waiting for a pause. <laughs> you you waited until he was drinking from his so, uh, I was, soda coffee I was thing. so poised because I was going to be like, if we cannot believe that birds are real, I don't believe UFOs are real. And it's in my brain. So you and I, again, our well, wavelengths yeah. cross. Before we get to the lies, and I'm sorry that I cut you off, Michael. No. I, I couldn't resist no, you're the fine. birds uh, in, the, in the bard house. You um, son of you a gotta, bitch. You got to get it in. You got to get in every... I episode. I got to ask Shane this question, and maybe I don't remember if I sent it to our group chat or if I just sent it to Shane specifically through Instagram. But it's a birds aren't real advert from LA. <laughs> I think you sent it to <laughs> no, all of us. I, no, I, I sent it, 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 oh, okay. it to just. Oh, I don't you. think I've seen that. I would have remembered. Okay, it if yeah, I saw it's a they like purchased that. billboard space in Los Angeles, um, and really some propaganda. Uh, 
sp- oh, spouting. That's good. I like that. And uh, that I, I guess I never explained where I got that from, and that's where I got it from is the actual birds aren't real organization. Um, <laughs> and it's a it's a really great uh, eye opening thing that you should check oh out for yourself. Goodness. Wake up, sheeple! Um, <laughs> <sighs> Wake up! It's feeding time. So All right. sorry. Let's get in, let's get into these lies, and we should even the ones that we caught. We should just re recap them. Yes, just... I will. I will give it to you. The reason being is that I gave you a gimme. Okay. So technically, you got partial credit on one, and then I'm giving you partial credit for Michael's because the the quote was a fun just throwaway. I didn't actually technically include that in my three. So oh, uh, you were just riffing in the moment. Yes, because oh. well, I I thought it would be funny because I'm trying to make this entertaining. So I threw that in as a, to keep the episode light. I'm giving you credit. It's a full credit, Michael. Oh, okay, I'm crediting okay. both of you. With I was a lie. about to be like, no, this is bullshit. This is it's a little. We're, we're, I need to speak to the manager. You wouldn't know this unless you've seen the film and and read. So this is one of them is kind of a cheap lie on me. So I gave you an out one way or the other. The okay. whole depiction of what happened to him when he woke up is not true. So him oh, awakening okay. in the cocoon, going through all of that stuff, that specifically is kind of like a two-part lie here. So him waking up seeing the the cocoons? That's yes. All that's so bullshit? What, what his actual what, claim what was... What is it a reference to? Hold on. So okay, what okay. he actually claimed occurred is he woke in a hospital-like room and being observed by three short, bald creatures. He claims that he fought with them until a human, a human, wearing a helmet, led Walton into another room where he blacked out as three other humans put a clear plastic mask over his face. Walton then claimed he remembers nothing else until he found himself walking along a highway five days later with the flying saucer departing above him. Okay. So... I this like leads, the lie better than the truth. This leads into the second yeah. half of what the lie basically is. I'm calling this whole thing as a, a, a single lie amongst itself. You could call it two, basically. But I omitted something. So later on, when they uh, talk about his book is a basis for the movie, all of that story is what they claim happened to him in the film. So Paramount Pictures, when they pitched the book, essentially said his his account was too fuzzy and too similar to other televised close encounters. And so they enlisted screenwriter Tracy Torme to write a flashier, more provocative abduction story for the movie. Fucker. Oh my god. It is the this is based on a true account. There you are. And they just say that. The name is the same. Yes. Or he was abducted. That's the one thing that we took it's from this. It's 11. Movie. So that oh, I'm considering boy. a lie, technically. That's fair. Um, but it, it, it basically was a two-part lie because I left it off at the end. So I you can game it one way or the other, but I still called it three. Uh, the, the second, of course, is the, the quote is, is incorrect, which the quote was me adding on. It seems to me the boy had been getting friendly with the weeds while woodcutting. Mm. That is my, <laughs> my quote. Getting friendly with the weeds. The other <laughs> entire uh, section about the psychologist Benjamin Simons, the hypnotist who worked with Betty and Barney Hill, is completely contrived. I made up that entire paragraph. Oh, okay. So the quote is a, a fake quote misattributed because that entire section is just me bullshitting. So okay. no one ever. So we got part of the. So lie. technically, you you smell the hint of the lie, and that's why I clarified the quote is what you're calling out. So yes, technically it's wrong, but that entire section is is made up. So and what my were we covering in that section, my including the uh, gentleman Benjamin Simons giving a speech to Mufon in okay. '87 never happened. 
He <laughs> was not involved in this at all. He never tried to discredit Travis Walton. He doesn't even know who Travis Walton is. He may have been dead by the time Walton put his story out, for all I know. Because he was helping the Hills in the early 60s. Uh, around uh. 64 to 65 is when he was actually working with them. So, all of that stuff, meaning he was pointing to sleep paralysis as being the thing he actually was enduring. My discussing sleep paralysis, bringing all the other stuff in, saying it was a more sensationalized abdu- sub- uh, abduction tale, that it was incongruous because it was overly sexualized and an expression of, you know, a, a depressed society. That whole paragraph is Shane. You made Michael admit to his sleep paralysis all for not well it is something that is commonly they would discuss in if you are you know a student of the game as far as ufo abduction goes a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists point to sleep paralysis as being the the common thread and the reason for them believing that they've been abducted yes a lot of people because i have read on this a lot of people either um for the intruder aspect of Mm -hmm. the sleep paralysis they either assume it's an actual like burglar or robber or something like that or they can um, not assume that it's a person like a human and then start, you know, making the connections that it could be something else, and something that is probing them. The more that UFO culture has been built up, then it injects the idea of aliens into your subconscious and then you start to dream around that pearl, basically. Mm-hmm. So that whole thing is, is second, basically what I considered my, my second lie. Okay. I have to give you credit because you took... An account that seems on its own pretty pedestrian. And bland. And, yes. Oh, I woke up and there were three bald men and a dude with a helmet that were operating And they put him... It wasn't even operating. They they put a mask over his face and then he woke up. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Thanks for the story, bro. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you had a fun night on shrooms or something. Uh, not like getting abducted by you know little green men or you know giant gray aliens or something I mean, like that. I heard three more interesting stories than this when I was waiting to send off our damn the weather packages at the post office today. <laughs> I bet I'm not kidding. I, I, so, I really bet. <laughs> uh, yeah. So long story short, too late. Those are essentially what I would consider to be the the three lies if we're going to incorporate okay. the quote as well. But that's the ones that cool. you barter. So. Uh, so technically, I'm giving you half credit on pulling out the the quote there, John, because it does sound very Shane-ish. Uh, yeah. So it 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 does kind of go in keeping with that. So you caught the scent of it, but not the the whole breadth and depth of the lie. All right. All right. So that is it for that section. So thank you. Always fun. Yeah. That was great. I will uh, after we're done. Send me a reminder of the episode that you're talking about. Uh, whatever's uh, sorry. The one that spooked you in the tub. Uh, oh, the David Fravor one. That was, yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, I will send it along. Yeah. Just just to remind me. I'll throw that on at work on like Saturday or something. Okay. Yeah, it's worth uh, having on with the video component because you get to actually see what he was referring to. Yeah, and I'll, it's, I'll throw it up on, on one of the TVs that we're not using and I'll force any random retail customers to and listen to it. You will get the joy of meeting our good close personal friend, Jeremy Corbell. Oh, okay. We're gonna have we're gonna have a forty three percent John here in next episode. Here's hoping that would require feelings. Ugh. Can I also point <laughs> out? Fair. I was talking about this with Melissa the other day, and I was relishing the number of changes that we have gone through in our group chat to the title of our group chat. I think if you know the listeners who are following the show will appreciate. So we started out for a long time as you know, like podcast. just disinformed or podcast. Yeah, it started off just podcast. Yeah. 
And then with like an exclamation point or something. We like have that. now morphed within the last couple months to be the Jeremy Corbell podcast, the Uncle Touchy podcast, and now we are officially titled the Birds Aren't Real podcast. Yeah, and what's my favorite part more because what they say is that a picture is worth a thousand words is the icon like we troll each other and change the picture non-stop but mainly mm-hmm. it's at my expense for the most part because of all the times my zoom meetings freeze <laughs> or my zoom freezes on or on the meetings and michael will take a picture of it and then by the end of the episode that's our new icon is me looking like a moron and i got mike last week but then also i've been rewatching the sam raimi spider-man movies again <laughs> and i was watching the infamously terrible and this will segue into the next segment of our show mm-hmm. i was watching the infamously terrible uh, third installment and just happened to find just amazing pictures i showed shane in person <laughs> on saturday the kind of the things that i found but the image that is now our group chat photo is emo toby Maguire, but zoomed into a ridiculous degree <laughs> making like a pouty <laughs> face um but i kind of live tweeted watching spider-man 3 to you know my tens of followers <laughs> and i found i and it, it mo- most likely the best things that happened in life it was just totally organic i'm watching the movie and let's see where it is here we go i'm watching the movie and i pause it cuz i have to get up to pee and it's the scene where peter parker and um and harry osborn are uh-huh. in in the mansion it's after harry osborn has amnesia cuz he got into the accident and they're looking at a portrait of willem defoe's uh what green is it? goblin yeah green goblin yeah, but him yeah. whatever and the framing of the picture um it's toby mcguire there's a picture in the background that's not the the portrait it's like a, it's a sign and the cinematographer either caught this and thought it was hilarious and left it in or didn't catch it and i don't know which is worse mm-hmm. but it's cut off from the, the whole statement and what it reads is anal street broad I shit you not. It says anal. You're gonna have to find a. You're gonna have to somehow put this picture in the show notes. Just, just I'll, no, we'll, we'll put it on our Instagram because you know we do yeah, need there, the traffic. Ooh, so let's add that go. in. I like Here, it. while we're on the topic, we'll do this in lifetime. I screenshotted it, and boom, it's in our. It's in the birds aren't real podcast oh, chat. Do I really Bless have you. to? Okay. All Can right. I just you know for the listeners who didn't get to take the visual uh, ride with us here on the glorious circuitous route that is that? Have you ever watched your grandfather try to look up a website? Oh shit! Is that what I looked like? <laughs> that the the finger pecking of doom of like every time John pulls his phone up to, to look at something, I'm like, oh Jesus, here we go, Grandpa like, Simpson's right, trying to find porn 60, again. Sixty years from ah, now, anal treat broad. Ah, okay. Uh, anal treat broad. Yes, love it. I know All right. that. Hold on, new segment. No, stop with your Twitter shit, John. Yeah, yeah, we're done. We're done. You, you had the perfect Listen, segue. The, I'm going to tell you the Jurassic Park updates from last week went over like a fart in church. So I, <laughs> I'm not engaged with this anymore. The Velociraptors right. have figured out how to hold a gun. Boom! It's still a segment. Fuck the Velociraptors. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck them okay. in the ass. Well, well, <laughs> you're done. You're done. No, what is you're it? Canceled. You're uh, from last week. It's not you're done. It's your your boosh. You're bunced. You're bunced. Or your your bunk. Your bunk. There we go. Sorry. Yeah, bunk. Uh, oh yes, yes, yes. Hey from guys, the silver dollars. Guys, I'm fucking trying. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate that. 
All right. And it shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I accept that. Yeah, I, I, I accept that. <laughs> all uh, right. We're all just trying. John, please. We're all just Sigourney trying. Segway us away. Michael. Yes? Are you a voice actor? No. I'm not a voice actor. Shane, have you worked as a voice actor? You know, as a matter of stern fact, I have actually been paid to use my throat before. <gasps> you sound Ooh, just sexy enough to saucy. make that work. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so for the last 1,800 years, we have been doing a uh, little tag on to the end of every episode where we are making the unofficial audiobook that no one in their right mind has ever asked for, for the world's worst fan fiction titled My Immortal. Written by Tara Gillespie, uh, better known as her counterpart, uh, Raven Ebony. Ebony Darkness Dementia Ravenway. There we go. Thank I'm you. I'm so sad I know that. <laughs> <laughs> this also has kind of been a social experiment to see if we can't beat all of that good learning out of Shane's brain by making him read something <laughs> just so ridiculously stupid that maybe he likes slapstick comedies afterward. I actually thought that you were trying to drive me insane to make me kill myself like some sort of eldritch horror here. Speaking of people not being able to go on the video journey through this, there are moments where Shane looks like he is having to quote a band that I am happy to say it's dead zero percent fun <laughs> you know some things just Ooh. refuse to die john and how and if you've gotten to one hour and 27 minutes into this and you're that petty you deserve to hear the reference yes. so welcome to the podcast spite aside um we have a couple more weeks left of this and then michael is going to abandon his thesis um, to create or to put a supercut together of the 15 hour audiobook. Thesis Christ! Thesis! Thesis Christ! Christ. <laughs> so, when we're reading, when we're reading this, there's a couple important things to note, and I, mm. I think I'm getting better at this pitch. You are. Every week. Yeah. So, there's a couple important things to remember before we get into this segment. Um, one, it's completely optional. You can stop listening if you want at this point. Yeah, you and, can. And no one, no one's going to blame you. Shane and myself, personally, we will definitely not blame you. You have to keep listening. I actually <laughs> will blame you. I'm going to be very upset if you don't stop okay. here. Okay. Well, secondarily, we read everything exactly how it is written. Phonetically. And phonetically. And Michael has gone to painstaking lengths to take the original source material and then just... Not to simplify it too much, but crudely put it into a script. I mean, he has to transcribe it and then fight Google autocorrect in order to make these misspellings live on the page. So, uh, credit to him. It's tedious beyond belief. I broke Google. I broke it. I broke it. It stopped recommending it. And I'm like, good. Stay down. His, Sit down. His Google ads and his like Instagram ads right now is basically like hooked on phonics. Like, they just really... <laughs> <laughs> i think it's recommending a new podcast called dyslexic dicks to him on a weekly basis his google is tapping out so hard <laughs> uh but anyhow uh we've we we slash i slash all of us figured that going forward it kind of like necessitated a little preface because if you are new to the podcast or came in 
anywhere after the first time that we did it. It kind of just sounds like we decided to throw away the episode and just be nonsensical. Mm. But this is kind of a, a love note to a terrible thing um, that Michael brought to our attention. And as we talked about earlier, it's been referential since episode two. Yep. Um, so it's kind of something that we're going to finish out and just coincidentally finish out by our one year anniversary mark. So with no further ado, I think it's time that we uh, we fuck this pig. We finally get to conclude our season one arc with the telling of this ghastly tale. And John, you actually sounded uh, very much like me introducing the show on episode two. Yeah. So congratulations. You're catching up. Oh, thank you. <laughs> We're actually getting used to this one year in. What do you know? Ooh. So, that will lead us, trippingly, up to the doorstep to hell that is previously on My Immortal. Chapter 35 takes acid flashback to a whole new fucking level as Ebony discovers that Draco's doppelganger is in the con men room. Jesus. Uh, believing first that Draco had joined her in Tim Travel... Uh, and then discovering it was Luscious Lucius, or Lucian, as she calls him. Uh, and as luck would have it, Lucius just so happens to be in a band with Snape, Sirius, and James Potter. And of course, sweet Satan, a.k.a. the Lodmort, uh, the Younger. Naturally, all of them are wearing good Crelote t-shirts uh, in the 19-fucking-80s. <laughs> so who's down for a little creative anachronism? You? You? Good, because it keeps coming. As luck would also have it, this hot goth youth group is missing a lead snigger. And uh, as their previous vocalist committed suicide, as is the fashion for their kind. Uh, all oh, talented, God. it seems like all talented vocalists kill themselves, which is why John and I are still living. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I dig it. Uh, yeah. So, um, as it turns out, their band X Black X Tier X is playing backup at the Marlon Mason show in Hogsmeade, uh, lending credence to John's belief that Tara has never attended a fucking show in her life because bands do not play backup. Just so you know, kids, there are supporting acts, opening acts, etc. It's not someone batting cleanup in the rotation of a fucking baseball roster. <laughs> yeah, it's also not Britney Spears held captive in Las Vegas for six years. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, also, for the record, for those playing the home game, James Potter is now called Samaro... After Samara in the fucking Ring franchise and Ebony auditions for the band by performing Green Day's Boulevard of Bork and Drems <laughs> about 20 years before its fucking inception. Uh, she wows the band, of course, with her dynamic lung capacity. <clears throat> and she is asked to join the group to perform that evening. No further practice required. So, congratulations for their professional capacity as well. Uh, this puts Ebony in a bit of a quandary, as she needs to get a sexer outfit to attend the show in, as well as a new outfit to perform with the band. What's a Mary Sue to do? Uh, just... <laughs> oh my god. Just as she is lamenting this terrible travesty, Morty McFly shows up and arrives to offer her to a... Uh, uh, take a ride forward in time in his special machine to end the chapter. Fucking hell. 
So uh, we then have chapter 36, which uh, sees Ebony explain her plight to all of her contemporaries back in the future. Uh, Professor Sinister Travolry is still slamming truth juice like there's no tomorrow. Uh, a group cutting session is proposed to commemorate her good fortune. Uh, and then Draco proposes that they brew up a love potion to assist Ebony in her dat rap efforts. Uh, someone simply must have a vial of liquid luck in their possession because this meeting also coincides with fucking potions class. And as Snap is in Azkaban for Kid Diddlin, we are reintroduced to new professor, Cornelio Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the menstruation of magic has taken over Hogwarts in this story as well, and so Cornholio is now teaching the portions class, as they say. The kids begin to talk amongst themselves, causing Cornholio to have an outburst. They continue speaking, and he has another outburst and claims he's going to grab Rumbridge to assist in punishing them. Hairgrids is suddenly discovered attempting to slip Ebony an amnesia potion for no good reason. And we flash to chapter 37, uh, wherein we slip into Draco's point of view as the spirit journey of these fucking chapters slides into the peyote stage. Uh, they bludgeon Hagrid to punish him for trying to slip her a Mickey. Uh, they decide to hold the amnesia potion themselves to help Ebony somehow more readily seduce Satan. And then go looking for Professor Sinister. They discover Tom Rids magically in the professor's office who, uh, just apparated there to give Ebony some fucking clothes because congratulations, this is how life works. Uh, they next discover a sign on the wall as is in keeping with the Potterverse, uh, to indicate that Professor Sinister has been sent to Azkaban for being too goth. This is <laughs> a real thing. Yeah. Goddamn. <laughs> uh, or Quabdam. And she has been replaced by Dumbledore. <sighs> so he arrives just in time to accost them for being in his orifice, and Ebony escapes by jumping back into Morty McFly's Tim Machine, uh, which gives her... Uh, a flash forward to Professor Slutborn's office in the daft past. She gets into an argument with Slutborn about who's, you know, got rightful claim to being there and then excuses herself by saying, oh, sorry, I just thought that was the classroom. And he tells her, oh, fine, you can go. Uh, she then walks out of the orifice uh, and uh, finds the band waiting for her. X, black X, tears X. And uh, she asks them, of course, where Satan is and where... <laughs> She's told that he's coming. Uh, like, coming, coming. <laughs> coming, coming. Lols. Uh, and soon, Satan arrives. They leave the band behind to go to the concert. And that brings us to our current state in chapter 38. Wait, hold on. We need the intro as performed, you know, all that other Son stuff. Son of a whore. And... I need to put in that music somewhere. Action. We bring back My immortal. As performed by the Disinformed Podcast Cast. Chapter 38. Satan and I walked to his car. It was a Blake car with pentagrams all over it. On the license plate said 666, just lick Draco's car. I went in it, seductively. Stan started to drive it. We talked about Satanism, lols, he was named after Satan, cooting, muzzik, 
and being gothic. Oh my stand. Gerard is so fucking hot. One, one. Volksmort agreed as we smoked some weed. Parenthetical. Cars by grease are hot. They are so sensitive. I love them. Lol goes a fucks a bye guy. Lol, I totally decided not to commit suicide when I heard Helena. I said in a flirty voice. Hey, Satan. Do you know the cure for when people are addicted to Volsmart Serum? Well, he thought. I think you have to drink vampire blood. Suddenly, Volksmort parked Dakar behind a Blake movie theater. Satan and I walked outside. We went into Dot Movie Tether, where they were showing Da Exercised. In it, a boy and a girl were doing it. Suddenly, a serial killer came. Lol. Satan and I laughed at Da Blood cause we're sadists. While Satan was watching Da Movie, I had an idea. I took Satan's gothic black nightmare before Christmas cigar sexily from his pocket and put some amnesia potion in it. I put it Blake in his Blake Emil the Strange Bag. Satan turned around and started to smoke it. Blake clouds with red pentagrams in them started to fly around everywhere. OMG! One, one, one. Satan said, jumping up. I gasped cause I was afraid head noticed. Anabi, guess what? I knew that the amnesia had worked. Amnesia potion has not been invented yet, so it will not work, he said. Too bad, because I wanted to use some on you. Cool. I raised my eye, suggestingly. And then, he talked of my clothes sexily, and we started to make out. I talk of his shit. He had a six-pack just lick Gerard way, one, one. We Frenched. Excuse me, but you are going to have to leave. One, one, one. Shooted the lady behind us. She was a prep. Fuku. One, one. I said. Suddenly, I attacked her, soaking all her blood. One, one. She screamed. All the preps in the theater screamed. But everyone else crapped. Cause Satan and I loked so cute together. Satan and I started to walk outside. Z-O-M-G, how did you do that? Voldremort asked in a turned on voice. I'm a vampire. I said as we went into the car. <sighs> Seriously? He gasped. Yeah, seriously. I said, drinking some beer. Satan started to drive the car. I smelled happily. It's too bad we didn't get to see the rest of the movie, don't you think? Yeah. I said as we kized passively. Satan parked in a Blake driveway next to the place where Draco and I had watched GC for the frist time. 
We went inside where Marilyn Mason was playing and started to mosh. Lol. And it, people. Now you've gone too far. Juice Christ Superstar! One, one, one. Screamed Marlin on the stage. We did the devil fingers. I started to dance really close to Satan. He was so schmexy. One. He looked at me all emo with his gothic red eyes, and he looked exactly like Mikey Way. I almost got an orgasm. One. Suddenly, Marilyn Mason stopped singing. I would like to peasant. X black X tear X. One one. He said, I ran on stage. Lucian, Samaro, Snap, and Hades were there. They started to play their instillments. I got on stag. Well, if you wanted honesty, that's all you had to say. One, 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 one. I sang. Parenthetical. I'd not own the Lyrax to date song. My voice sounded like a pentagram between Amy Lee and a girl version of Gerard Woy. Everyone clipped. Satan got an eructation. I'm not okay, one. I sang finale. Sudin, Lucian started playing Da Song Wrong by Mestake. OMFG, one, yielded James. What the fuck? Whoops, I'm sorry, said Lucian. You fucking asshole, one, James shouted angrily. You guys are such prebs, one, one, Snap said. Come on, it was a mistake, one. Yeah, it's not his fault, one, one said Sirius. No, he ruined the fucking song, one, yelled Samaro. You guys stop, one, one. I shatoed angrily, but it weighs too late. They all began to fight. Suddenly, Samaro took out Hai's Nife. OMFG, no, one, one, shouted Lucian, but it was too late. James tried to shoot off his arm. And then I jumped sexilt in front of Dabulat. One, one. No! No! One, one, one. One, one, one. One, one. Yielded everyone, but it was too late. Suddenly, everything went Blake. Holy hell, gentlemen. (sighs) I'm not okay. I promise. Well, if you wanted honesty, that's all you had to say. Indeed. Can I just kill everything old enough to die and some that aren't? Yeah, I feel like maybe you should hold on to that rage, because I feel like this ending chapter is going to be the final... Oh, uh... oh it's not... Yeah, well, I mean, the ending for this week, yes. Yes. Uh, Alright, so this brings us to the glorious and famed, or infamous, chapter 39, entitled... Was this the actual title? Yes. Oh, how fantastic. I am a trolling Gene Ayo's lulls. Script writer's note. 
This is a very odd chapter. The first half was written by a troll, and the second half is also posted as chapter 40. I will do my best to make clear in this chapter and the next when this troll author is talking, but honestly, I bet you can easily figure it out as the typos decrease substantially. Additionally, I will include the troll author's note for reference as dialogue. There's also air quotes in the troll uh, mention. Yes. Just because of my own theory, but... All right. As we have well established, Michael believes that this is Tara who just got disgusted with the whole process and decided to change it up a bit. Yes. All right. So, chapter 39. Disclaimer. I do not own the HP series, and I am not the real XXX Bloody Wrists 666XXX. I am an extremely immature, pathetic idiot girl, I know. Out of boredom, I crack this girl's passy for fun. And it took less than eight minutes to do it, too. And I will probably get in a shitload of trouble, which I probably deserve, because I'm being a troll right now. Meh. And I present to you my crappy part in this story. And take note, I haven't finished reading this fic yet but instead skip over to skim chapter 38. Flame, laugh, do whatever you want. Preps. I, the American retail-wearing British vampire Sue, coughed up blood. Satan kneeled down beside me. No, don't die. I gave him a rueful smile. I'm sorry. It's something I had to do. To fulfill my duty as the noble, gothic Mary Sue. Satan sobbed. I love you, Ebony. I love you, the number two. I'll... I'll see you in hell. I mumbled, already finding my surroundings fading to black. Bloody Mary Smith suddenly popped into the room for no apparent reason. She frowned when she realized the room was oddly silent, but at the sight of Ebony's lifeless body, she screamed. Her face became pale with horror. She screamed for the healers, Dumbledore, McGoogle, and every single gothic person she could think of. Suddenly, a glow started to surround the body of Ebony. Everyone stared in shock. Her body started to lift ever so slowly, and then, to everyone's shock, it started to incinerate. When everyone realized what was happening, they rushed over to try to rescue the body, but it was too late. The Sioux became nothing more than a pile of ashes. A loud resounding of everyone bellowing. The- no! filled the room. A flash of white light from the ashes then started to bounce around the room. Everyone cowered in fear and were temporarily blinded. When it was all over, things changed. All the silly goth clothes dropped from everyone's bodies. I will refuse to explain how the hell that happened. And in their place, Clothes the characters would normally wear in canon appeared on their bodies. 
when everyone got over the shock of becoming free of the Gothic power, everybody cheered. Everyone started singing, Ding dong, the Sioux is dead! Well, that is until all the HP characters realized the true implications of becoming more canon-like again. All the characters who were supposed to be dead fell to the floor, their bodies cold and lifeless. Harry and Voldemort started dueling. On the left side of the two, the battle of the light side and the dark side were reaching a climax. And, because the replacement author also likes to screw around with canon, Draco and Heroin fled the scene and got married. Meanwhile, down in hell, Ebony shed a single tear because of her current situation. A situation that would live on for all eternity. Or, at least, until the end of fanfiction time. She lost it all, but she knew she had to remain strong. Nothing would ever break her down. She looked down over her pale body and frowned. Where are my emo clothes? She asked herself in confusion. And then it occurred to her. For her shirt, she was wearing a bright pink polo with a little seagull on the right or left, I can't remember, side. Below that, she was wearing a denim miniskirt with the destroyed look on it. Paired underneath that skirt were legging, with a little moose at the bottom. And then Ebony realized on her shoulder she was carrying a pretty bag with an eagle on it that said, Live Your Life, written all over the bag. Ebony suppressed the urge to scream. Here, she was decked out in clothes, prepped to the extreme, wearing stuff from Abercrombie & Fitch, American Eagle, and Hollister. Panicked, Ebony hastily tried to take off the Hollister polo, but underneath it, there was another Hollister polo underneath. Ebony frowned and looked under her shirt. All she saw was a bra underneath. Dare I point out, it's from the airy line available at American Eagle. Ebony tried to remove the shirt again, but to her frustration, there was yet another polo to replace it. This is unlogical and does not make any sense! Ebony bellowed out to the air. She failed to see the irony in her statement. How hypocritical her words were, seeing as she was practically calling the kettle black here. Ebony slit her wrists and mumbled to herself. Oh me god. End crap thick. Oh yeah, if you want to see the original content this chick had planned for this chapter, I accessed it through the document manager thingy, which I copied and pasted, so you can read it here. This is where the troll author adds the original content that Tara had planned to post, but this is the exact same content found in chapter 40. Sincerely, an Anon author who will silently not reveal her identity because she's a coward. Tongue. A.K.A. Just a Troll with Rocks for Brains. Not gonna lie. Favorite chapter so far. Without question. 
that was a definition of a slow burn, my friends. Uh, but that is what we in the industry like to call payoff. Indeed. And can I tell you just how refreshing it was for me to finally feel like I was back doing my job and actually reading something cold that I didn't have to fucking stammer over for the entirety of the time I was reading it. If there was a way that you could sign a petition or get people to petition to get you on Night Vale, that entire chapter got my rocks off because it was almost like getting to see my friend as a guest vocal on Night Vale. So, oh, bless you. Well done. And... Much like any time you hit the eye of the storm, I can only imagine that once we return next week, all the good feelings will be gone, and it will be right back into the nonsensical, mind-destroying fray that is Tara Gillespie's inner workings. Yes, in fucking deedly do. Now, I assume we are ending here, yes? Oh, yes. yes. Okay. All mm-hmm. right. I, I just wanted to clarify. But uh, yes. we, gentlemen, I want to take a moment in our, you know, near anniversary here to, again, self-congratulate. We have actually managed to tailor this show down to a point where we are functioning around a two-hour runtime every single time we come out of the box. And I don't know whether or not that is just particularly a credit to, you know, Michael and myself attempting to format how we present our topics a little bit, uh, you know, better and be a little more on the uh, side of brevity as we've talked about or, or what. But uh, congrats to you both because we've now managed to do this for several weeks running where we hove in around like a, a two hour mark. Yeah, I was thinking something similar uh, going into today. And once we mentioned that we're nearly done with My Immortal, I have a theory that after after we're done with My Immortal, I feel like for a, a spell our episodes are probably going to be significantly shorter because we have it dialed in. Um, mm-hmm. What started as a joke of can we kill Michael with editing has then turned into we know what too short and we are always too long, but at least we know like what's too long for our own uh, our own selves. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been nice to kind of figure out, that, you know, to pare down, all right, my research needs to stay within around a three to five page run here so that I can mm-hmm. kind of keep yep. this bite-sized. Speaking Agreed. of which, John, can we expect any further episodes from you going forward, or uh, have we, you know, officially reached your capacity again? You haven't exhausted it at all. If anything, it was a lot of fun to do a topic in the future. So so maybe maybe the, when the season ends, let's call it the year a season, maybe season two we'll see uh, more more topics. Maybe maybe Deer Hunter Part 2? Let's not get ah. too far ahead of yourself, Chief. Ah. I... Or, or, or will that be season four or five or ten? I don't even have any ideas in the chamber right now. Um... I've just been looking at a lot of weird, random things. Like, do you guys remember the Animorphs series? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, something Ooh. brought the Animorphs back into my uh, line of sight. So maybe I, I've been debating not reading them, but maybe like going through like s- Wikipedia or like Reddit summaries just because I loved those YA novels. Those were like even those were pre-YA novels. You, yep. You just triggered me because uh, my section when I was a page in the first library that I ever worked in and a page is the person who reshelves the books and maintains sections was the children NYA section. 
And oh. I had to reshelve so many of those Animorph books, and they were constantly just being pulled off because some kid's like, ooh, ego, and runs off with it. Oh. And I would, they would just disappear, and I'd have to go get them and bring them back. So, yeah, I'm, yeah I, I think, started the PTSD here real strong. I think maybe if I'm just, like, just hip fire, um, mm-hmm. I would maybe do, like, a plot summary for a YA novel Ooh, as a okay. as an episode. Um I like that. Because they they will be it would just be a Wikipedia article. It would be like yeah. the minimum effort. Yeah, um yeah. either anamorphs or and it's just coming to my head now because like the nostalgia machine. Christopher Pike's The Last Vampire series. Alright. Um which Christopher Pike was I think uh, stepping stone into actual horror novel writing for me even though it was framed as a YA it was really like to my adolescent brain very sexual very bloody and very like I think Becky talked about it uh, recently with me where her parents like mine were really restrictive on what we could watch uh, as kids but mm-hmm. the caveat it, it applies to her not to me is that they would let her read anything that she wanted you know like can't watch anything that you want, but somehow they thought that books wouldn't be worse. Yeah, books and, is reading okay. is less subversive than somehow watching it manifest. But that is absolutely not the case because usually your imagination is going to do far worse things, especially with the amount of material out there. But uh, that was what Last Vampire was for me. Nice. But anyway, uh, yeah, maybe let's call it season two. And we'll, we'll work okay. on it. All right. I was I was mentioning it because I didn't know if Michael's brain has returned back to his body yet. So I'm... I can do I can do something. All right. I just I, want to make I, sure I have, I have at he's least moved. A couple... He's he's getting acclimated to the new surroundings. So yes, yes. But I have at least two separate topics that I can do. I think I'm I'm leaning towards one. I'll, allow but... me to finally manifest something that I've been holding on to for a long time, so that John, the Tony Stark of this crew. And me, the Captain America of this crew. John, you're not the one to throw yourself down on top of the grenade. You're not going to lay down on the wire so that your buddy can crawl across it. You're just going to let Michael flounder in the breeze while his brains are scrambled egg and have to come up with a topic for next week to present. It's really well done, John. I admire you for that. Thank you. He shouldn't have killed my parents. <laughs> to go, well, with, to go with your analogy. He's he's got you there, Shane. Or he's got you there. Well, I did kill his mom repeatedly, night after night, for a good long while. So I understand. It's she needs a break. Uh... <laughs> I'm trying to break it. That's why I keep hitting it so hard. Uh, and now, with that hip crippling dismount, I think that has wrapped this episode up like a condom on a cock. And we thank you all for being here as per usual. Uh, if you want to check us out on social networks, please do so. We could really use the support. I assure you, go find us. Like and subscribe where you can. And if you dig what we do, rate and review. We sincerely appreciate it. And coming up every Friday, we have Disinformed After Dark, our new YouTube series that we are running, our video podcast component of this, which you can encounter. And we're going to have some fun stuff coming up for you this Friday. And it's 10 a.m. release time, uh, great Arizona state time for those that want to do mountain time like John's mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh yeah. All right, kids (laughs) for the glorious and now nearly one year old disinformed podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. And I'm Michael. 
Thank you for coming, kids. Don't worry. It will be saved by the Robotham. <laughs>